Welcome to the workshop, an adult Sunday school session hosted by New West Community Church. The workshop is more than an adult Sunday school. The workshop is a systematic discipleship program for teens and adults, which takes place Sunday morning prior to the service. Our focus is to build disciples that are grounded in the basic principles of the gospel and are equipped to minister broadly and to meet spiritual needs around them and to develop and use their particular giftedness for the good of Christ's church. In this session, we'll be covering off the first half of Romans with our own Bob Kirk. morning church um before i start uh, i'd like to pray heavenly father dear lord thank you for this morning thank you for the saints thank you for your faithful servants thank you for the obedience of faith that you have called us to lord and thank you for examples from um your your prophet jeremiah your your beloved son where he said in jeremiah 15 chapter 15 verse 16 your words were found and i ate them your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Lord, let that be our uh, scripture this week, our cry, our uh, praise to you. And let us glorify you in all that we do this week, Lord. And let me glorify you right now in this, uh, in my reciting of, of your holy word, uh, Romans chapter one and two. And Lord, <laughs> let me do this in your strength and in your power. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you um, would feed these words through my mouth, from my heart and from my mind, uh, without a great number of pauses or mistakes. I wish to honor you today, Lord, and in, in your name. And I pray for all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are called to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, 
that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory 
and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one inward, outwardly. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. About, um, about two months before I came to this church, I uh, was reading through the Psalms and I read Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord with all my heart. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And um, it, there's something about that that just told my story of coming to Christ. And I, I wanted to memorize it, but I've never memorized a single thing in all of my life, not even my times tables. I know them pretty well now, but um, as an engineer, I need to know them. And I use math all the time, but I still use, rely on little shortcuts to remember some of them. I'm not even going to say one. <laughs> Too nervous right now. But um, um, I wanted to memorize Psalm 34. And about the same time, I came across a book by Andrew Davis in, uh, that talks about memorizing scripture. And his method didn't work exactly for me. And his method was... Uh, just get up in the morning and read a verse 10 times and then repeat it 10 times from memory. And then the next day, when you get up, repeat yesterday's verse and read the next one and do the same thing. 10 times was not enough for me. 
I have to read the verse in order to hold a verse, just a small verse in my mind. I have to read it out loud probably about 30 times. And then I have it enough in my mind where I can, I can recite it. But then if I wait an hour and try to recite it again, it's gone. I have to read it again to recite it again. So my process is to do that in the morning with a verse. And uh, I do it while I'm, well, I, I fix the verse before I go to work. And then I recite it while I'm driving to work. Um, and then uh, I do that also during a, a walk at lunch usually. And then in the evening when I come home, if I try to recite that verse to Janice, it's gone. So I have to read it again. I come up to read it like once or twice and then it's back again. And then I recite it about 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 times out loud with, I also try and capture the emotion that uh, I sense the writer is putting into the letter as he's writing it through knowing the context of the chapter in the book that I'm working through. So also read the book frequently and often so you can get that. Um, I tried to show a little bit of that this morning, but I'm still working on it and where to put the accent. And, um, but uh, it, it's, it's really hard work. It takes hours, probably two hours a day I spend on it, but it's so important to me to do that. And I think it's important for all of us to have this scripture in our minds. It doesn't have to be a whole book or a whole chapter, but just scripture in general. Um, another deviation I made from Andrew's uh, method is that he strongly encourages you to memorize the uh, verse numbers as well. And I did that for Psalm 34 and Proverbs 31. And actually I was reciting, it was cool. A number would pop up in my mind, mind's eye before the next verse. So it kept me on track, but for reciting, it became a hindrance because it broke the flow of the words. And I really want to know how everything fits together. And if that verse number keeps popping up as I'm reciting, it, it's, I, I find it interferes with that process. So um, I did, Hannah did put a link to uh, a website that I put up that has a resource for uh, that, that has several resources for memorizing Romans and Ephesians. You're free to have a look at that. If you have any questions, send me an email or call me. We can talk about it. If during your memorization, you get to a point where you're discouraged, and I was many times, um, have a chat with me on Sunday or, or message me or call me or send me something on Faith Life, and I'll, I'll get back to you and we'll talk and we'll pray together, and I'll help you to try and get through whatever trouble you're having at the moment. Notice how Tom, even when he's carrying my Bible back to me, holds it in a reverent way. It's not because it's my Bible, it's because it's his attitude towards Scripture. There's uh, a ton of stuff I was going to go through today, but uh, looking at the time, I actually want to do an activity that uh, probably would have gotten bumped to next week, but it's important. Now, those of you that were with us uh, going through Gospel of John, and I think First Peter, we talked about a, a reading strategy called close reading. Does anyone remember that concept, close reading? It just really means reading slowly and carefully and observing what the text is saying. Let the, question, let the text interrogate you. We never interrogate the text. You sometimes hear people say, well, you're going to, you know, a scholar saying, you know, scholar, I hate that word. Uh, I'm going to interrogate the text. We're going to see what, and, and it's going to give us answers. Actually, the text interrogates you as you read it, but we should be reading uh, carefully. Were there any extras? Yeah. So everyone got one of these. 
Everyone have a sheet? And it's Romans 1, 1 to 7. I'm not going to make you memorize it in the next 15 minutes. But here's the activity we're going to do, and you can do it individually or in your table groups. Um, one of the reasons I wanted you to go back and, and read John 1, 1 to 14 and look at the questions that I sent out. We may still do that next week, but uh, I don't want to uh, lose the momentum that Tom gave us. But I wanted to look at that and say, well, what are the elements of the gospel found in the introduction? Because as, if you remember, John, in effect, summarizes many of his key themes in the first, in the first part of that chapter. Likewise, Paul has done the same thing here. Uh, this, his introduction here in verses 1 to 7 is the longest introduction to a letter in all of Greek literature. I did not know that until I read that. But typically you have you know, the greetings to the people, you, the uh, blessings to them, and then you know who he's writing to. And if you read his other epistles, you'll see that all of them are shorter. But this one, he's got some purpose to it, uh, which I'm not going to go into in the rest of this morning. But I want us now to look at this. And I'm going to give you about eight minutes in your table groups and feel free to mark this up. And I want you to make a list at your table of what elements of the gospel do you see here? Because Paul is summarizing his book. One might say that the summary of his book is in these first or the over the executive summary, if we can put it that way, you've got to reduce your, your purpose statement to one sentence. Paul is good at long sentences, right? So I, I think that in Ephesians one, he goes on is it like 14 verses. And Greek lets you do that in terms of how you can structure clauses together, right? They didn't insist on periods after every thought. They could actually hold several, you know, a good thought in their mind. So this first, uh, this first uh, six verses, seven verses, it's one, it's one sentence, which makes me think that when Paul was reciting this, he was, he was writing to it, reciting to a secretary, an amanusis, an amensis. Anyway, I should, I should have practiced the pronunciation of that word. But anyway, it's someone who would, he would recite and like a scribe or, a, or a, a secretary would write it down. And it sounds like he's talking as opposed to writing carefully. You know, when you talk, you talk different than when you write. So here's the exercise. Here's the activity at your table groups. Go through and make a list of what are the elements of the gospel that Paul is summarizing here. Some of the tables are working collaboratively. Uh, I would suggest that as you do individual work, then that you start talking to each other and making a list because then we will call, will call out to each group to supply some ideas. And it's not as though there's one perfect or right list. So we're not looking for a magic list here. Okay. We must be having fun because I hear the noise level rising. So I'm going to call your attention to the front. If there's a school teacher at any table. If you could kind of draw the attention of your students to the front, that means Laura. <laughs> I said, if there's a school teacher at any table, you can help draw the attention of your students to the front. So I'm picking on you to pull these guys together <laughs> since you're having so much fun back there. Okay. Uh, I'm going to race what's on the board. So I'm going to take 30 seconds to tell you what I put up here because I'm not going to cover it otherwise. This is a timeline. And remember last time we talked about Romans being written in AD 57, then Paul going to Rome about AD 58, or actually being arrested and arriving there two years later or three years later. He'd actually hoped to arrive sooner, but that's how what God's plan was. But just to put Romans in perspective, we got Moses back here. If we had done this exercise with the first few 14 verses of John, we would have, or first chapter, we'd have seen the reference, you know, where Nathaniel goes and, and says you, he, that this guy fulfills the, the law and the prophet, or Moses and the prophets. So you got Isaiah, 
there's a lot of background here according to the scriptures that i'm just picking on that bit there we got jesus birth here approximately 700 AD, bc to four that the timeline is not proportional jesus is born approximately four to five bc most people think there's no zero the reason that zero zero was left was left out of the timeline because the monk who first drew this up didn't know what whole numbers were <laughs> so there's no zero no, no, no year zero in, in, the, in the timeline. Jesus' ministry, AD 30, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Ascension's part of the gospel. Pentecost, around, let's say around AD 30. Now, there's some difference around those dates, okay? Paul is saved about two years later, we think. Damascus wrote AD 35, most people think. Here's the point I want to make that uh, we might not get till the next time. Romans is written in AD 57, but AD 49. Uh, does anyone know what happened in AD 49? So Paul actually talks about this when he talks about Priscilla and Aquila. Um, there, was, there was conflict, as we see in a lot of places, conflict in the church in Rome, obviously, between the Jews and the Christians. And so Emperor Claudius says, well, I'll solve this. I'll just kick all the Jews out of Rome. And because there, the fight was over this, this guy named Crestus, who was crucified during, during Pilate's time in Judea. So there, you got the name a bit wrong, but this is from secular literature. He dies in AD 54. His, all his decrees cease at that point, and the Jews start coming back. That's why Paul can talk about meeting with uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth, I believe it was, at one point. And then when he's writing Romans, he's addressing them in the end. So they're now back in there. And, and we'll see how there, there's some conflict coming out of this. But just so you see, so Romans... They're, they start coming back AD 54. So now the Roman church is a minority Jewish church because the Gentiles have continued to come in. Romans is written 57. Paul's arrested in 58. He gets to Romans 59. You know, he taught for at least two years. And then we think he was released. And then the, the Roman fire. And then, of course, the revelation is written about 30 years after that. Okay, just I want to say that before I wipe the board. Okay, elements of the gospel in these first seven verses. All right, elements of the gospel. I'll start at the back table since I already picked on them. Okay, set apart. I'm not going to comment on these. Just, just give them to me. Okay, called. Okay, Paul, called. Now, is that part of the gospel? I'm actually going to make the case later on that it is. Anyone else? Where did Jesus learn all that stuff? Where did he learn the book of the law? In particular, probably at, his, probably at his mother's knee, just like Timothy learned from Eunice. And, and, and Jesus would have been taught by his mother to do what Tom just did. He would have had the law of Moses, which is the Torah memorized, without a doubt. And any scholar, any, any person that age would have had the, all, of the, all of the writings memorized. Because they said of Jesus, how does this guy, he didn't go to, to any of, the, any of the, the rabbi schools. How does he have so much learning? Because he knew scripture inside out. It's a mama's knee, at Mary's knee. Okay, next one. You got two things there. From the, the scriptures, also says the, the prophets, but it says the Holy Scripture. So we're talking about inspiration there. Okay, go ahead. Someone else. There's lots here. And how do you get that, Lynn? Yeah, so it, it descended from David according to the flesh and the Son of God. So we, what, what do we call that in theology? The coming into the flesh. What's the term of that? Incarnation. So it's, it's actually a real man and real God. Okay, someone else. Okay, you got the resurrection and we got the crucifixion, but re referencing to his death. 
And next time we're going to go into this question of what do you mean he's declared the son of God? I thought he was always the son of God. How do you get that out of there? What's going on here? But we won't deal with that this morning. Okay, holy and sinless. Any other ideas? Okay, interesting. This idea of grace is in there. See, Paul is putting in key words. He's not explaining it all in the first bit, but he's, he's setting you up, okay, for the book here. So go ahead, Dean. Okay, obedience of faith is involved here. Love, say love by God. So we've got the love of God involved here. Okay, the gospel is to go to all the nations. Okay, the glorification of God is involved here. Glory of God. And later on, we're going to see something about the righteousness of God. We're in verse 16. About how the righteousness of God is tied in. Those of you who aren't used to reading like this, I know some of you are, are new believers or recent, uh, recently have come to Christ. So this is an example of a way you can, you can work through a passage. And you're not necessarily going to any, get everything, but you can study through and, and highlight things as opposed to just kind of reading through what you should do. But there's also times to reflect as you go through and put things together. Okay, any other ideas? Okay, called to be saints. What's the, what's the technical name for that? Okay. Good. I hadn't thought of that, but there's something else. Justification and what, ma- what pairs with justification in Romans? Sanctification. Thank you. Okay, anything else? Bristol. Okay. So you can start, Bristol's starting to make connections now between points in here. Our time is short. There's one more thing that you haven't explicitly touched on. And so I'm going to give you one more minute to go through this and circle every word. So take your pen out and circle every word that refers to deity, any term that refers to deity. Okay. Love. Yeah. So there's other things you could find, but just focus now on anything, any term through here, circle it, any name or term referring to deity here. Okay. 20 seconds. This isn't hard. Just, you just mechan. I'm just asking a mechanical exercise here to circle every term re- referring to deity or name of deity. Who's still working? Caleb. Okay. Some heads are coming up. Are you there, Margaret? What else from your exercise is the gospel? Yeah, apostleship is, is an element of it. But now in terms of this exercise, have you circled all the words that refer to God or any form of a deity, a reference to deity? Okay, I'm not going to ask you what they are because they're all in there. Take them collectively. There's, I don't know, I didn't count how many there are. There's like eight or ten of them, right? Approximately. Fifteen? I don't know. Five, there's, what is the gospel? Looking at those terms, what is the gospel? It is one word. The concept of the Trinity is essential to understanding the gospel. And Paul puts it out there, low-hanging fruit in the very first section of Romans. And it is, if you think, if you think about this as you go through scripture, it is amazing how often the concept of the Trinity, the word itself comes from, a Latin word that wasn't brought out until about the second century. There's actually a Greek word that was used before that, but not in scripture. But this concept of the Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead being involved in the gospel of God is a Trinitarian concept. Never forget that. That's why it's essential to understand the Trinity. That's it for today, folks. Thank you, Paul. We're four minutes over. 